ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Welcome to the Outlaw Blitz Interviews. And we're back, G-Mac and Winnie, coming at you with another interview podcast with another rock star. It is a, another frosty afternoon here in New York. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, 40. Yeah, 40. Last, dude, last night, 19 degrees. It, it's disgusting. I'm pretty sure Robbie Lochner, today's guest, is not dealing with this weather out in California. No, no, no. Guitarist for Jack Russell's Great White. He is not dealing with this weather, I would dude, imagine. Dude, guy's amazing. Have you seen some of his stuff? I, I watched him play... Beethoven yes, on, a guitar, on a guitar, bananas. I absolutely loved on his, I was looking on his YouTube page, um, they did a cover of Born to be Wild uh, with him and Jack Russell was phenomenal. And then live, Jack Russell's Great White did a cover of Voodoo Child. Oh, yeah. Hulk it, Hogan. I sent it to you on the phone. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is the shit. They, I mean, the guy, the guy's all self-taught. Super talented. And uh, I, I listened to an interview from a couple years ago or whatever, and he he was talking about how his brother got him into playing. So I really want to dive into that one. Yeah. Uh, he's one of nine kids. So, I mean, you know, that I'm sure unless you're a millionaire, it's probably pretty rough, rough go. Coming from Tucson, moving out to Orange County, California. About to turn this, about to 2000, right? Yeah. It look, that's what it looked like. Um, that's, we'll, we'll dive in more to that. One thing that I definitely want to dive into at some point later on is with Jack Russell, speaks so glowingly of Robbie Lochner. In every aspect of the guy's life, I'm talking, he said he is an absolute guitar prodigy, but he is a model citizen, a model father, a model uh, husband, and just human being. A great human being. So it's, it's almost like we got Eric Ferentino's number two. <laughs> Eric, I know you're listening, buddy. I hope you enjoy this one too. You know what I mean, though? But like, Eric, yeah. Eric had that same vibe. So down to earth and where, just chill. And... Where Stephen Piercy took him in. Yeah. But, I mean, they were neighbors, but this guy really seems to. Yeah, they're a lot closer in age, although we can't ask. It's not, it's not polite, but it's funny because the one interview I said, it's Jack Russell's now 59, and. Um, Robbie's age is undisclosed. So, <laughs> yeah, but looks looks to be a really cool guy. Everything I've read, yeah, um, I mean, very artistic. Musically, articul- forget about it. He's top of the line in every way. Completely self taught too. Yeah, um, yeah, very articulate, uh, very smart, very well spoken. So this this should be a really fun interview to do. Wow. Um, you know, we weren't in that. You know that. We know there's a few of their songs, but sure. that wasn't like my main genre of music. No, back then. no, no. But if it's you know, we, we got to find out if he ever came here to the chance the, or played. Yeah. They've played in the one interview that I did read. He said that yes, they have to play the hits. It's not necessarily his, his fun, his most fun stuff to play. But he said being out there and live playing, he tries to make everything fun. 
Yeah, I mean, you're you're putting on a, a show, so yeah. uh, we're getting close to him uh, calling in. So we will take a break right now, and then on the other side, we'll have Robbie Lochner. Sounds good. We're back, G Mac and Winnie here with Robbie Lochner. Good afternoon, Robbie. How are you? I'm doing good. How's the weather where you're at? It's actually pretty nice, nice and warm. Sun feels good. Uh, I wish we could say that. It's it was 19 here last night in New York. (laughs) (laughs) We don't see that where I live. (laughs) We were taking bets on how nice the weather was there. Be happy you don't see it. It's uh, (laughs) much rather switch spots and enjoy a little sunshine. So let's it's jump right in. 70, it's probably 70 degrees here, but I'm not even sure. Oh, that's it's beautiful cool. stuff. And no humidity. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, born and raised originally in Tucson, Arizona? So I was actually born in New Jersey. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Man, you, you know our buddy Eric Farantinos, right? Yeah. Another Jersey boy gone west <laughs> to find guitars. Yeah. <laughs> How old were you when you moved? Um, I mean, I was really just born there. Uh, my, our family is basically from there. My uh, my parents both lived in the area. I think uh, was it my mom was in New Jersey. My dad was in New York, but um, they ended up living in New Jersey before I was born. And then there's a bunch of kids that uh, my parents had, and each time they have a kid, they go back home to the parents and have the kid in new jersey so i never really lived there but a lot of people think that i was born in tucson but i wasn't because i really didn't move there till a number of years later we moved all over the country my dad was teaching um school so we'd be in at one point we lived in oregon we lived in fort collins colorado we lived in blythe california we were in oklahoma for summer we were in tucson for summer when i was a baby so we kept going back to New Jersey for, you know, maybe a summer or a part of a year or something. So I really don't remember very, very little about it. Wow. So you, you, you definitely made the tour around the nation as a youngster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we were we drove a lot, had an old station wagon, throw the little kids in the back and go across the country. Yeah, it was like you had, oh, the, really? you had the Clark Griswold mobile. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Now, nine siblings total? What's that? Nine siblings total? Uh, five brothers, three sisters. Oh, you're, and you're number nine. Okay. Yeah, two brothers that actually had passed away at birth. Oh, know, wow. So, yeah. Catholic family. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you like um, how did you like going to high school in Tucson? Um, it was cool. 
It was good. I mean, it was good. I liked, you know, I had, it was good in Tucson. I mean, we, we moved there when I was in first grade, and then so I, well, I've been there since then. So most people, I've known a lot of people for that long. Okay. And a lot of people don't realize, except for those people that I've known since back then, know that I, you know, didn't wasn't born there and didn't live there the first five six years. So, uh, but a lot of people after that, years later, just assumed that I was born there, but was not. Grew up and uh, grew up there though. Played music there the whole bit. Went to high school. High school was good. Cool. Good time playing rock and roll music, and you know, what age? Party scene. What age did you pick up your first instrument? Um, really, it was probably thirteen. A little later than most people. And self-taught. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. So when I was doing my research, I <clears throat> excuse me, I read uh, somewhere that. Your brother kind of said, hey, pick up. A, your brother started a few months before you, and he said, pick up this guitar, and then you guys just kind of learned by ear. That was it. It was uh, He was playing about six months longer than I was, and at one point, uh, he, we had this little acoustic guitar. I still have it, um, but my mom had uh, bought it so she could do some class at the U of A in Tucson, and she did the class, and when she was done, my brother started playing on it. And then he was like, hey, you know, he got me and two of my other brothers and probably three or four kids in the neighborhood all sitting down and learning a song, really one finger playing a tune. And everybody kind of took turns learning the song was Honey Hush, kind of, you know, um, sounds like a train kept rolling, really. <laughs> and I was the guy who sat there the next day and, and played it and kept doing it and kept doing it. Oh, I got to get it. I got to get it. You know, and then it just kind of went from there, really. I mean, it took a little while, but I, I would say probably about a year or two, about two years after that, that all of a sudden it just got really serious for me. That was it. So did eventually did that lead to that awesome band we heard about, Rock Lochner? It did. <laughs> it did because uh, at that point it was just playing, um, well, I first with myself and if I could, with my brother's band, he had some older guys that were playing, and I'd try and jump in with them a little bit. Um, and then it just happened that I just started on the drummer. We started playing, and it just kind of morphed into it. And then from there, I had a friend of mine that I taught bass to, and he, so we'd have a bass player. And another friend who played guitar, and he played with us for a little bit, and then got on restriction, and was gone, and then we just went three-piece. And then we rotated with two two different drummers. And by the time we got to the third one, it was really starting to get serious. We were playing. We had already been playing parties, I mean, really, as, as much as we could. There'd be a party. We'd show up with our gear. Hey, can we play? <laughs> you know, just... We'd set up and play. We just wanted to play and get that live experience. And it just morphed into it. We had a couple different names until eventually uh, some of the neighborhood kids kept saying, you know, Rob Lochner's band. I was like, oh, no, I don't really want to do that. And then they start calling it Rock Lochner. And instead of R-O-C-K, the last name's L-O-C-H-N-E-R, we shortened it to R-O-C-L-O-C-H-N-E-R. But at one point, uh, my brother, his friends that he was playing with were actually killed in a car accident. Oh, no. And he kind of put them off a little bit. 
from playing. And then he started um, kind of hanging out where we were playing. And then he ended up playing with us. It was just, okay. You know, it just kind of morphed into that. And then what happened was he quit eventually. He was like, okay, you know, I think he just felt way older. He was seven years older than me or is. And he just kind of felt like, you know, he was just so much older. It was just awkward. So he bailed out and really just didn't, didn't like music. And he, I mean, he liked music. He didn't like the music scene. He didn't like what a lot of it was about the business. I just say the business, not the scene. So when he left, my friend that, uh, we played with his name was Vic Visco. He, um, back when we were in like 10th grade and we had our little band, he rejoined the band. And then it was, I mean, it was that year was like this magical year. Um, he was killed in a car accident after almost exactly a year wow. in the band, but it was an amazing time through that year was some of my fondest memories in music really doing that just the just the feel i mean it's it's hard to explain but it was uh pretty special now is this that same year that um you guys went out in the desert and you got like four to five thousand people to just show up at this pop-up concert no that would have been earlier that would have been before vic uh, my brother charlie was still in the band and my friend dan that i taught bass to was still in the band that was really pretty early on, but I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, what really um, brought the people out was we went out and flyered every high school in town. And so, yeah, I mean, they came out and drove. We were just shocked at the amount of people that came out. It was just unbelievable. The cops shut it down. <laughs> that had to be an absolute scene, though. I mean, that's that's a ton of people showing up. It was Oh, it was unbelievable. There was a spot, it's called Tankerverde Loop Road, and there's a, it's a mile long. It had cars on both sides of the road parked all the way down the whole mile. And then into the desert, there was cars where we had a designated parking spot, which we figured, okay, maybe we'll fill this up. We had no idea <laughs> that it was the whole mile. And we had, there was police on each end of the mile turning cars away, going, nope, no more cars in there. And they were actually really cool. I mean, they were just kind of like, what are you guys, the Rolling Stones? And I was like, yeah, we really. But uh, they would just say, let us play for a little bit. It was, okay, let's see. I guess they wanted to see what the deal was. But we had set up on the side of the Tankerverde Wash. And it was, um, I guess it used to be called the Lolito River. It was a big, it was a river at one time, so it was a big wash. And a lot of people in 4x4s would um, come down the wash and pull up and watch. But there was just a sea of people. And we were set up on the banks of it, so it was like a stage in itself. And people went right up to the to the stage, which was, I mean, it was literally like a, a little cliff. And it was maybe four feet high. And we brought a generator out there, and we built um street scene. We took eight-by-fours and painted like a street scene and made this little thing that we did. And it was, it was really cool. I mean, it was the biggest show I had played until I ended up with... um Rob Halford, even all the years after that, we, the band got really popular and really that helped kind of catapult us into popularity. But, um, and we never got that many people again at a show. We came close. Did that give you like your first high of being a rock star? That was actually the, probably the highest I've ever been on stage. I mean, when we were done, I walked off and I was like, wow, I was, I mean, I literally felt high, like I had done something, you know, I mean, it was, 
really just, I've never felt quite like that before. It was like, this is amazing. I want to do this again. We got to do it again. This is a guy that uh, threw the party. I'm still friends with him. His name's Conrad Mendoza. And his, it was his parents' property. So we were talking. Well, I was like, we got to do another party. It's got to be bigger. <laughs> <laughs> it was just this whole thing. we got to do it. So we did more desert parties, but they never were quite like that one. And now at that, that at that age, what was what are your influences at that point? What are you listening to? Um, at that point, I was really into um, Van Halen, and probably the main influence at that point would have been Van Halen. But just prior to that, it was Shanker. I was still listening to a lot of Shanker, so the UFO stuff and his solo stuff, and uh, mostly those two guys. I would say was a big influence. Now, did I read some stuff? Did Rock Lock? You guys ended up taking the band and going out to California at some point and performing out there as well, right? Yeah, we did. Did you have? Did you end up landing a record deal for them, or was there talks of a record deal? Not through those trips. Those trips were really a waste of money. Oh, it, it, cost, it was the pay to play. We played the Sunset Strip. And we had to put up a lot of money. We would play in town, make money, save it up, and then um, come out and play a couple shows on the Sunset Strip, paying to play. And the thing is, people were just not real receptive to, I mean, they didn't know who we were. They didn't care, you know. So we had ended up, uh, at one point we played, I can't remember the name of the band. We opened up, or it was right after a band that was really popular, and it was at Gazzari's, and the place was packed. And it just took our techs, or one of our techs got drunk the night before, and he was slow. And it was like, come on, turn it over before people leave. And they were filing out. And by the time we got on stage, the place was practically empty. There was probably 10 people. So it was a lot of that where we'd play, and there just wasn't a lot of people. You know, we had come close to record deals, sort of. We never had any on on the table, really. But there was a point where... um, there was a guy in Tucson, there's a place called Zips Records, and at that point, this guy who ran the place, Rick Andrade, he was a billboard writer back in the day when um, when there was only 50 of them in the country, and what it was is because there was no, uh, not I guess, it, a sound scan. This was before sound scan. So they didn't really know how many sales were happening. Everybody was lying about their sales and, and paying people off. And we found that out because of him, because what would happen is all the labels were kissing his butt, everybody. He is one of 50 in the country. And so they'd come in and like, oh, how many did uh, Bon Jovi sell? Well, you know, you, we'll give you tickets to this or that or whatever. They were just giving them stuff because, you know, write this and, you know, it helps his, their artists look better. So what had happened is he had started sending our, I think it was our second record out to people. And then maybe some of the demos that we were doing after as the band started actually getting really good, he would send the stuff out to these people and we started getting interest. The closest that it happened was, I, I can't remember what year it was, but the, um, it was a, it was a label it was Warner brothers out of New York, if I recall right. And they were really interested. The guys like, yeah, these guys are good. I want to do something with them. But unfortunately this guy always dragged his feet. He's one of these guys like, yeah, yeah, I'll call him next week. We're like, no, call him right now. I mean, this is the kind of thing that has to happen now. Yeah. And he, he wouldn't, he would wait and then time would pass. And it was like, okay, now 
okay, it's the holidays, things will pick up after the holidays. And after the holidays, the guys had moved into a new position and the guy that filled his spot was not interested. So we lost that opportunity. Yeah, it seems like it's just a whole, a total strike while iron's hot opportunity. And he drove oh, his yeah, feet exactly. and you guys suffer for it. Yep. You have to move. Wet. Exactly. You just can't wait. There's too many people wanting that spot. So it's, you know, the opportunity meets preparation. We just got to take it. And it was really out of our hands. There was nothing we could do. We had to just push him. <laughs> Come on, do it, do it, do it. And he was always slow because he was sending stuff out and getting pretty good feedback from people. But he would always take his time. And at one point, we ended up on a, um, a CD by um, Album Network. And it was um, part of Billboard. And they were like the top 15 unsigned bands in the country. And we were on that CD, which we thought was going to be a big deal. Something was going to happen from it, and we never got one call. Wow. So that, that sucks. So it, it kind of seems like in the music industry, it's almost like kind of just luck sometimes. I mean, it's hard work, but who hears you at the right time and the right place to get you a little bit further? Um, it, it really is. It's, you know, I mean, and people say what luck is, you know, preparation meets opportunity. So obviously you need to be prepared when an opportunity comes up, but you also need to take that opportunity because some people don't, some people are afraid of, oh, I've seen people when things start to happen, even really with that band, that's when things started really kind of becoming clear to me that, um, the, the guys really seemed like they wanted it, but they weren't really willing to do what it took to make it happen. Um, there was there was fear of it, which I understand. I mean, coming from Tucson, it's not a small town, but it's got a very small town feel. And you can get comfortable when you're the big fish in the pond. And we were trying to do all these things, and it just we hired an attorney from Los Angeles who was a big time guy, and he was ended up it was just a fiasco. But it was like, okay, we need to go out. Why don't we move there? And they're like, oh. No, no, we can't do that. And it just, there was a lot of fear involved in it. And eventually it just ended up at the point where it just couldn't, couldn't go on. And really by the time I left the band, it was, everything was starting to change. So it was both a good time to leave the band and a bad time. Um, it would have probably been smarter had I left years earlier. And, uh, you know, if I had moved out to California back in, I don't know, 85, 86 or something, I probably could have ended up in some band that, you know, broke through. What was your, you know, keep push. What was your first, what was your first post Rock Lochner project? It was um, the Z Rock Killing Crew. That was with the radio station, right? Yeah, the radio station band, yep. And then when did you get hooked up with Rob Halford? Because I know he had he started working on a his first post Judas Priest project and you, you got pulled in on that? Um uh, well on the tour. So what had happened was um after the Killing Crew um in the Killing Crew was based in Phoenix, it was, you know, syndicated station thing. There was a guy, the singers from Chicago from Boston, uh, bass players from Phoenix, and I was from Tucson, and I was driving up to Phoenix for rehearsals. It lasted about six months, 
And then I was like, okay, I've got to move to Los Angeles. That's it. This is done. It's over. I really need to do it. So I moved out. And when I moved out, there was a friend of mine that actually was from Tucson. Well, we became friends after that. I never knew him. Somebody introduced me to him. And he was a DJ at KNAC, uh, Razor Ray DiCarlo. And he was super helpful, really, really nice to me and stuff. And uh, we ended up living about two miles from each other when I moved out. And he had told me, send in um, a demo to EMAS, which is Rob Halford's uh, Entertainment Management Advisory Service. So I had just before I moved out, and, you know, I was put in contact with Razor and we were talking. I sent in that demo and then I moved to California and really it was probably 10 months after I moved that I got the call from Halford and the guitar player had quit the band right at the end of the tour and the biggest leg of the tour was coming up and he hired me really just from the demo. No rehearsal, no audition, just hired me and went out on tour. So, so that was on the first fight record, the War of Words um, tour. And then after so, after that, you 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 played on the tour, but you didn't you didn't go to the studio with them to record anything, right? No, it was um, it, it was really weird. I mean, he was really cool. He was really cool to me, and it was a great experience. But. The, the crew and the band were just not the friendliest people. <laughs> it was very, very dark. And it was at that time when everybody thought it was cool to be, you know, dark and hate everything. And I mean, I kept looking at it and going, this isn't going to last. It can't last, you know, because everybody hated everything. All the crew, all the band, they were just not friendly people. It was not a fun experience quickly with these people because they just didn't enjoy it doing what they did so i knew after that i was like i gotta find something that i like people i like i want to be around that want to be around me and i want to be around them and have fun i mean what's the point of playing music if you don't like it i mean not that you don't like music but you don't like what you're doing you don't like the feeling you don't like you know whatever just hating everything then it becomes more of a more of a chore more of a job than an actual career oh yeah and even just Worse, I, I can still remember looking out at the hotel window one time and just go, oh "My God, this is so dark. This is, it just felt so dark. I couldn't even just put it into words. I was going, this sucks. Oh man, this is not cool. I don't want to feel the way that they feel. Is this the way they feel? Because this is not what I want. Why do you think there's so much drama in bands? It always seems like, you know, we're outsiders. We know we know nothing about it. But it always seems like I had friends in bands. There's always some kind of turmoil in the band and. I, I just always wondered that, like, why is there always so much drama in bands? Egos. It's it is it's just the ego thing. I mean, people they just uh, they feel like maybe they're not getting enough limelight. Somebody in the band, or it's almost always comes down to that. One guy maybe if it's a bigger act, maybe one guy's taking more money and the other one's feeling entitled or. One guy's doing all the work and he's splitting all the money and he, he deserves more money or there's just so many different things. One guy gets more solos than another guy. There's two guitar players or, you know, the guitar player is getting more attention than the bass player or the bass player slept with the drummer's girlfriend. Oh, or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so scen scenarios galore. Yep. 
No. Um, there's just so many of them. And it, it's basically like, kind of like a marriage, but if you've got four or five guys, it's like now you've got to deal with four or five people in a marriage, basically. It's tough. It's not easy. That's why getting gigs, like, it's important um, to people that they find somebody they can get along with, that you can hang with on the road or on a bus or whatever, because you could find guys who can play the part. But the tricky thing is getting the guys that um, you get along with and can play the part. <laughs> yeah. Now, you moved on from there into Treason would be the next band? Yeah. Um, you know, I did a bunch of little bands here and there, local stuff, but I would play with them for a little bit and then just like, no, no. You know, I just knew it was going nowhere. They were bands that were really stuck in, you know, the, the whole 80s thing, which was gone at this yeah. point. Well, it's good. To, that's I, what you're totally pulling yourself above, and you, you see what you want for yourself. So you're you're being able to, you know, make that right choice to try to either move on or stay and play. Yeah. Now, Jillian's well, I, crush was a big one as well. Yeah, it was. That was, and that became because of treason. Now, with treason. Um, there was a drummer that I knew uh, that I had met locally in, in Hermosa Beach, and he was always really cool to me and stuff, and he played in a, a cover band. But then I found out, oh, he's got an original band. And then uh, he uh, was looking, they were looking for a guitar player. The guitar player quit. And I had heard, you know, the singers worked with all these big artists and stuff, and they were looking and looking, and I had a friend of mine who had Glenn's number, and he wouldn't give it to me. And I'm like, just give me Glenn's number. I want to, you know, because we were working together. We did my, I put my first solo record. He sang on a couple things. And finally, you know, they just couldn't find anybody. I kept hearing, oh, they're still looking. I'm like, come on, dude, give me the number. We can still work together. It's not a big deal. We didn't after that. But um, he gave me the number. And then I went over and auditioned for him. And I played with them for probably, I don't know, maybe a year. But it was kind of the same scenario. The band was good, and it had some good songs, but it was just not going to happen. But what was interesting was the the manager, after we did a couple of rehearsals, like, oh, our manager's coming over tonight, and he ends up being this kid. He was like 22 years old, and all these other guys are like 20 years older than him, which I just thought, this is weird. I've never seen the manager's always the older guy, you know? Not <laughs> some young kid. And he comes walking in, and he's, you know, his name is Bernie. Unfortunately, Bernie passed away nine years ago. Oh. But uh, that night after that rehearsal, we had both parked up the street in the same area, and we walked together and talked, and we walked, and then we exchanged numbers, and we talked for probably at least an hour. And then he was like, yeah, I play music. Yeah, I'm a bass player, and I sing a little bit and whatever. And it was that night that we basically started um, Jillian's Crush. That's, so it was with him. It slowly evolved. We started writing songs, and then we were calling the band Radio Flyer for a little while. We did a four-song demo, and then we ended up with this producer that worked with Kiss and Eddie Money, and um, we started working with him, and that's when the Jillian's Crush thing really was formed, and it became this kind of punk, really catchy, really catchy songs, pop-punk thing, and it was really, uh, had really good potential. And there was interest in that, that band. We actually had contracts and it fell apart, unfortunately, because the contracts we signed with the producer and he brought a second producer in, they, 
through the silver. They didn't, really didn't allow us to do anything. So it, they were just afraid that they were going to lose the producer position instead of realizing that, you know, I guess they wouldn't know probably from their experience, but that we we're very loyal people to the people who are good to us. I'm always like, I, I never forget the people who are good to me. I'll always return that in any way possible. So had we gotten signed, we certainly would have kept them as producers. Of course, you got us here. Or if we were, if they were forced out in any sort of way, then we would make sure that they were taken care of whatever. I, I think they would have just been able to be in the producers because they, they got us there. Why would that change? Um, but they just really, it got ugly. And then we just, we just basically broke the band apart. And then at that point, you find yourself in L.A., right? Are you married at this point? No. Okay, so you're still single. Are you teaching guitar at this point? I had been teaching nonstop since way before that. Oh, okay. The first thing, I, when I moved to California, I was teaching. Um, I had been teaching a lot in Tucson. And then when I moved to California, I had this kind of, you know, I started over a new clientele. But I was definitely teaching that's what i did really to support myself because the bands weren't supporting what i did except with halford but um otherwise the bands were not making any money so i read that um your your te- when you were teaching you were teaching like up to 100 students at a time not not at once but like your class sizes yeah. were about 100 kids was it like a school of rock or something like that yeah, no, it was Mars Music at the Block of Orange. Um, I was teaching a hundred students a week right before nine eleven. Wow. After nine eleven, my clientele dropped in half. People just stopped coming in. <laughs> That's when I was the busiest I ever was. I really kind of got locked into that whole teaching thing, and I wasn't doing the band stuff for a period of a couple of years. I mean, I was writing stuff, and but it just. I got locked into that, and it's really not. I could never do that anymore. It's just that was just way too intense. But that was, um, you know, that kind of. That's when I moved to Orange County. That's uh, when I moved out of. Oh, no, we lost them. Well, hopefully, hopefully we get them back. Uh, we're we're full go, so I don't know. He must have dropped the call. Oh boy. Let me try calling him back. Oh, here here he is. Hey, Robbie. We lost you there for a second. (laughs) Oh, no biggie. We were like, uh, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so we're... I was teaching a lot at that point, but I mean, up before that, I mean, when I was working with the Jillian's Crush, that's when I ended up um, doing work for Eddie Money was through that whole thing. Because the producer was working with Eddie Money, and Eddie would come in, and he hired me to do some demos for him, which was pretty cool. So I got to hang out with him and a bit here and there, and he was a really cool guy. I liked him a lot. Is but after that, I moved to Orange County. I actually met a girl and moved out to Orange County kind of because of her, I guess. <laughs> and it it happens. <laughs> yeah. I started teaching a lot and then did the Mars music thing. And then Mars music went out of business. And then I opened a little school and that's when I started building my studio. And then I ended up joining uh dig jelly. Okay. And I had a little deal for a while and did some touring and 
And I, I read um, in an article to where you still have a, a lot of um, Dig Jelly material that that hasn't been released. It still has to be either finished or you're still it's still there. I do. I do have stuff still sitting in my studio that we've talked about finishing for the last nine years, but just I get busy with so many different things. And I'm like, mm, well, maybe we'll finish it. I mean, I'm still in touch with them. The the drummer from the band was just over um, tracking drums for me Saturday. Uh, did, Joe, um, Joey Felix? Yeah, Joey. Yeah. Okay. Now, so you definitely Joey, wouldn't consider it's the band's not, it hasn't split up. It's just kind of on the back burner right now with a lot of different stuff going on. Yeah. That's kind of it. I mean, we'll probably write or play or do something again. Cool. Even the first couple of years when I was with Jack, we would do a couple of shows a year. But then it just got, I got so busy, I just couldn't really get it to happen. So I'm like, well, you know, I'm just kind of putting stuff out there. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So, I mean, I know, you know, having Joey on the track is cool. He's playing on, um, I'm actually redoing a Jillian's Crush song. Oh, sweet. I, so I had him retrack one of these that I want to do, and then I had him play to an instrumental of mine, and then three had him play three more tracks for the stuff I'm doing with uh, Leroy Butler, the lead singer of the Baja Men. Mm-hmm. We've been writing stuff together, so we got a three-song thing we're working. So I had him do five tracks that hopefully will start getting released in a fairly timely manner. I mean, I just, you know, at this point, it's, I got it's the drums. Now. Tough to predict drums. right now, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have Have you kind of moved into a producer role? I know you're, you're what, the co-manager for uh, Jack Russell, Great White? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you're helping other people produce records or whatever? I am. Yeah, I'm producing, mixing, writing and it just depends on which project to which role that I take. Now, how has this COVID thing affected? I, I mean, I imagine you know, be, besides uh, stand-up comedians, musicians have to be the, you know, affected the most by this because you can't go to clubs and play and all these kind of things. So what does a, what does a musician do in this time to earn money? That's, it's pretty tough. I mean, I, I do some lessons online, like through, uh, Zoom and I've been doing sessions. I'll get session work here and there. And that's really, that's it. So it's, it's been pretty tough because, uh, we're, you know, in a, in this situation where we can't really do a lot. I've been able to get by, but boy, it's not, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. Now, your state's locked down, right? In California, you guys are pretty much locked down? It's, um, well, I don't know if it's locked down. They're talking about going into lockdown again. It's, I, mean, I don't. New York, we're, we're right there now, and it, it's it's getting to be to that miserable point. Yeah, I just don't know if I totally agree with doing that anymore. It's like at some point, you know, you just can't keep doing it because... People have to live. Yeah, life has to go on. Small business owners are affected. You know, musicians, comedians, any any anybody performing arts right now is taking a real hit. You can't get out and ply your trade. (laughs) And then how long? How long? This is just a a guess question. 
How long would you think it's going to take for people to get back to that? Like, do you think next summer we're just going to see concerts again? Or do you think it's going to be one of these, everybody's apprehensive about having full crowds and. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I think that they're probably going to be apprehensive, but I mean, it's just so hard to say if the vaccine comes out soon, maybe, maybe people feel a little more confident about it. I mean, it really depends on who you talk to. Some people are okay with it. and Don't worry about it. And other people are super afraid of it. So I, I guess because it is super contagious, but it's almost like it's, you know, it's almost like it's a flu, really. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people that are saying the numbers of the kids. If you're a kid, it's 99.999% that, you know, you're safe. And if you're under 70, it's like 99.9% or something. So the odds are kind of, it's like, it's, you know, at some point, kind of got to go, wow, we got to live our lives. Exactly. What are we going to do here? We can't just not live our lives. We're going to stay locked up and then destroy the economy entirely and all small businesses be gone. No, it's it's definitely, you're right. To a point, we know the precautions we have to take, and it, it is time to get back out there and get back to life as, as we knew it, hopefully, or whatever they're saying this new normal is going to be. But Well, and that, and that's kind of my point, is when you really think about it, who's going to save those small clubs from staying open, you know, from going under? Yeah. You know, there's a... Not never. Not every place can just, you know, survive Ce- on run. on minimal or nothing. You know, yeah. so how many of those great spots are going to just disappear? Oh, lots of them already have lots of them, and if they do another lockdown, that's going to probably kick most of them over the edge. Oh man! Now, um, have you ever played in New York? Yeah. Did you ever play at the Chance in Poughkeepsie? Oh, so you remember the place? That's awesome. a, that's down the road. That's like our kind of local, awesome little spot for a concert. That's probably my favorite spot to see a concert. Because, so we asked Eric Farentino the same thing. Do you prefer like small clubs or like, uh, you know, like um, I don't know what is that like a theater or like a big stage? Oh, a big stage every time. I mean, who could say otherwise? I think when somebody says, ah, I like a small club, it's because they're not able to draw. <laughs> you know? I mean, seriously. And I think that's probably more geared towards somebody who's had a lot of big success. Oh, I like the intimacy of the small club. Come on. You love the arena. You love the big stage. Who doesn't? <laughs> that's right. You want to go out there and play to the masses. Yeah. yeah I mean, come on. March two March two thousand eleven, you meet Jack Russell, and things change for you a little bit. Um, was it? Yeah, that's right. It was March. Yep, it did. And then come December, now you're joining. Now you're joining Jack Russell's Great White. Tell me, tell me how that all shakes out. Well, there was a former drummer, um, Garrett Pontier that I met at a NAMM show in 2011. I was playing with Big Jelly at a jam. that was right down the road. It was a NAMM. I, I don't know, it's not really a jam, but we were playing for this full, full NAMM or whatever. And a friend of mine, Gary Ophacious, who was in the original incarnation, brought Derek into this club we were playing. And when they came in, I was like, oh, okay, cool. We played with Great White. That's cool, whatever. And we talked, and we all got along, and then I brought them up on stage, and the three of us played like a set. 
and it was it was pretty cool. I was like, hey, this you know felt pretty good. And then I kept in touch with. I mean, I've always had kept in touch with Dario, but I kept in touch with um, Derek too. And then Derek said he was going out to meet Jack. That was in March, and he you know come on out and we're going to talk about doing a solo band. I go, okay, cool. That sounds cool. And it was, you know, Jack was in no shape for any band at that point. So I was like, okay, no big deal. This this isn't going to happen. And I did end up going back out. He was living in the desert at the time. And I went back out and hung out with him for a day. And I was like, okay, yeah, he's, he's in no shape. (laughs) So, Whatever, then, you know, time passes, and I guess Dario had been keeping in touch with Jack that whole time. And then in December, he, he was telling Jack, you've got to get this guy into the band. You know, they were still talking the solo band. And I guess in the meantime, they had done a photo shoot, and they put together that the solo band they were going to do, and they had a different guitar player. And then um, Dario kept telling him to use me instead. The guy was in Oklahoma, and this was convenient. I was here, and plus there were some other issues. But um, so I went to Jack's boat. Jack was living in Ladonna Beach at the time. And it was funny because I walk in, and Dario had been showing him videos of mine and stuff. And he goes, he looks at me, he goes, Yeah, he kind of looks familiar. I'm <laughs> like, Oh, God. We only hung out, you know, all day long at your house. <laughs> he didn't remember, but I'm like, Okay, whatever. And then it was that night he decided he was going. Screw it. I goes, I'm firing my band. I'm going to start Great White. Do you want to join Great White with me? He was just going to call it Great White. He was really pissed off at the other guys. And, you know, I, I said yes. I, I was actually pretty reluctant. Then I was like, um, okay. Sure. <laughs> you know, I'm not the type of person to say no to an opportunity, but I was kind of like, oh, boy, what does this mean? But, you know, here we are nine years later, so... And one thing that's consistent in a lot in a lot of um, articles I've read and interviews that I've you know had a chance to listen to, Jack is very very consistent in singing your praises. Not only as a guitarist, uh, as a he says as a true prodigy guitarist, but as a father, as a husband, as a friend that you've really been there for him and, and helped him along. And that says a lot about you as a person. That that's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's cool that he, I know he does say a lot of good stuff. Um, but, you know, it's just, for me, as a friend, it's just, you just do what you do as a friend. Um, because that's what you do, right? That's right. I know, I realize a lot of people don't do that, you know, but for me, it's just kind of a no-brainer. You know, I do try and help him if I can. And he's, you know, on the same token, he's helped me a lot, clearly in many ways and he's taught me a lot you know and, and even though you know i i do tour manage the band um and co-manage the band but i really kind of in a way manage it because but i, I it's a co-manage because everything comes to me but i run everything by him because it's his band his mm-hmm. decision but you know regardless i mean he, he's actually a very smart guy and he knows you know obviously he's been around the business a long time but he knows a lot about a lot of different things that people would be surprised because, you know, just even things that I had read that his old band members said about him not writing music or not knowing this or not knowing that. It's like, no, it's not true. I mean, I've worked with them. We write music together. Or like on the Acoustic Bites record, um, I mixed it in here. But I mean, I really, 
uh, or I'm in my studio right now, so I have to in here. But mm-hmm. um, he he sat with me, and I was like, "You got to sit with all the songs and tell me what you think." And he's he doesn't know exactly. Oh, I need two K on that kick drum. Or I need you know. He won't know the technical terms, but he'll listen to something and he'll tell you what it needs. And I was like, "Wow, how did I not catch that?" You know, it's like, "Wow, it's a really good learning experience for me because he would call things out." in just his way in a kind of a layman way, but he knew what he wanted to hear and what needed to be heard. And I was like, Oh yeah. Shoot. Why did I miss that? That'll happen. Even as recently as um, we did that single, um, hold the line mm-hmm. and I played him the mix and stuff. He goes, yeah, it sounds great. He goes, but where's the hi hat? And I was like, Oh yeah. What the heck? <laughs> so I go back in and you know, I just, it's something so simple like that. I'm like, duh, you know, how did I miss that? But he, he'll catch it. Went back in, turned the hi hat up. I was going, there it is. He goes, yeah, perfect. He loved the mix other than where's the hi hat. And it's just funny that, you know, it's great to have somebody who will know what it is, you know, oh, I need to, he doesn't need to know how I need to get that there. He just needs to know why is it not there? Just get it there. Now, health-wise, he seems to be doing quite a bit better. I mean, I watched some of the uh, early 2020 uh, concert stuff before you before everything got shut down, and his voice sounds phenomenal. Yeah, he's he's singing. He's singing pretty good. On, and we're putting out another record, um, and I don't know when it's going to be released. It's I just finished the mixes. It's another thing I have to run by him. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, take notes on this. But the record is a... Uh, tribute to zeppelin he had done one before but this is a uh great zeppelin is what they call the first one they maybe call it jack russell's great zeppelin or jack russell's great zeppelin 2 or something i'm not sure how he's going to name it but i mean his voice is kicking ass on it that's so awesome it was over a lot of different shows so there were some shows that you know the band didn't sound good or um whatever his struggling with his vocals on certain things it's a it's a hard thing to do to sing like that every night but i mean ultimately the, the shows that he was on and it sounds i think it sounds really good he sounded excellent in a zoom like a zoom video i saw you put together it looked like everybody was in different spots and then oh yeah yeah he was sitting on a boat singing and you guys were all like you were playing in your studio and everybody was separating yeah. it and then you produced the video too so when I, when I watched on YouTube and I mean, he sounded amazing on that. And I was, I was amazed at the clarity of the music considering you're doing it separate or, you know, probably not plugged into the best audio. Well, I mean, it's, it's a question of taking that and mixing it. You know, it's not just, you know what I mean? You take the audio and then you got to dial it in. So, you want to teach us how to do that? <laughs> we, we need help. We got a laptop and uh, a couple of mics, and we're just throwing it out there. <laughs> we uh, one thing I, I did notice that I absolutely a couple things I absolutely loved that I found on on your YouTube was the Born to Be Wild cover was phenomenal, and oh, cool. and a Voodoo Child uh, that you guys played live, which love the song, love Jimmy. Big wrestling fan, and Hulk Hogan came out to Voodoo Child for a long time. So when I saw it, I'm like, no way, this is going to kick ass, and it absolutely did. So there's there's some great stuff there. Oh, cool. And uh, you playing Beethoven. Yeah. How much, you have a lot of classical influence? Um, I, I, well, being self-taught, 
it was just something that I decided I wanted to do. So I guess that would be, yeah. Cool. I, mean, I would, it's not that I, I listen to a whole lot because a lot of those you just hear, you just know, oh, I know that. I know Fear Elise. I know Sonata and C or Wanda Wanda Surfing or Moonlight Sonata. It's just stuff we've all heard. But it was just a question of sitting down and, and learning it. Mm-hmm. So it certainly influences my playing, no question. Now, were you influenced? Did I read somewhere that your great grandfather was a classical composer? Yes, it was great, great, great grandfather was a famous classical composer. However, recently I've been trying to make the connection there and having trouble making that direct connection to him. So I was always told he was my great, great, great grandfather. But even when I asked my dad or my mom when we're trying to figure it out, we're just kind of like, mm, why is there, what is the connection? We're having trouble making it and going, is it really? Maybe he's not. Maybe he's like a great, great, great uncle or something. Okay. And we're kind of struggling to find that connection because there's not a straight shot back. Like there should, should be easy to trace and it's, and it's not being, but we do know that, um, my dad's grandfather was called E. Lochner, and he married a Schumann. And then they had, um, you know, my my grandfather was Charles Schumann Lochner, and then my dad is Charles Schumann Jr. And then my older brother, the one that taught me, was Charles Schumann the third. So the Schumann name has been in the family for a while. But we're like, okay, where, what is the connection? And whatever my dad was told, you know, and now my dad's older, but. You know, he was told by people who were older when he was young, so he might have confused it, or we don't really know what the connection is, but there apparently was a connection to the classical composer. But now I I, I don't really, I kind of try and clarify that, because I say, yeah, my great-great-great-grandfather was Charles Schumann. I mean, it was uh, Robert Schumann, but now I'm like, mm, after really looking hard into it, I'm having a hard time knowing that it's true, proving it's true. What do you like to do in your free time? I mean, when you're when you're not playing, when you're just with the family, what do you what do you what do you have interest in? Um, when I'm not in the studio or playing, a lot of times we'll watch TV. But when we're watching TV together and stuff, I'm playing guitar. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's never um, too far away. No, because I have a little amp in the TV room, and I have little amps around the house. But I, I will do, you know, I like to exercise. I'll go out riding the bike. We might go out hiking. My daughter plays tennis. I'll go play tennis with her. Or I'm, I'm going to be taking her to a, her tennis uh, practice here in a little bit. She's on a tennis team. Cool. How bad she whip up on dad in tennis? You know, she, gets, <laughs> she, has, she has beat me twice uh, twice now but i told her i go i i told you someday you'd be able to beat me but when you do beat me i told you it's going to be a while again before you do and the first time she beat me i said okay it's not going to be a while that she beat me again i'm like oh my god okay i gotta really focus so (laughs) but i know that it'll get to the point where she'll be beating me all the time and if she keeps doing it there's no doubt (laughs) no that's cool do any of your kids play music now or or they have any interest in it or are they like geez dad Enough already. Yeah, there's no real interest. My daughter has a little bit. I mean, she's got a keyboard, and she'll teach herself a little bit of stuff, and I'll try and help her, but she's not really that interested in me teaching her. I was trying to get her into guitar a little bit, but it was, you know, the old, no, Dad doesn't go like that. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you, do you guys have uh, pending everything, you know, being able to open up next year? Is there a tour planned for, for Jack Russell's Great White? Well, we have dates. We have a lot of tour dates for next year. So it's just but, it's pending. Hopefully we can get out there yeah. and people can listen and, and get yep. back out and have a good time. Are you coming east at all? I think so. I think so. I, I'd have to look at the schedule. I really kind of stopped paying attention to the schedule at some point. I know we had dates in New York. We had something in Niagara, and we had stuff that all got canceled or moved. I think it was moved. Half our dates are moved, and half of them are canceled. So now, one thing one thing I've noticed lately is you do this. Is it a podcast called The Hangout, or is it just kind of like The Hangout? The Hangout Live, and we have the Hangout.live as the, the webpage, but it's it's um, done as, through a Zoom call where we bring in different guests every week and, and just hang out for an hour or so. Sometimes it goes almost two hours, depends on, you know, sometimes it just goes really well and the guests are having fun. Cool. It'll end up going longer, but... It's it's on the Hangout Live Facebook page, but via Zoom, but probably not for long. It looks like we're moving over to Twitch TV soon. We have contracts for that. We're just trying to get it all ironed out and then move on to, to Twitch TV. Cool. Now, well, once that happens, we are going to keep the Hangout Live Facebook page, and we're going to start doing a um, – we're thinking about calling it On the Cusp or something where we bring in um, – I don't want to necessarily say up and coming bands because it might be a band that's been around a long time, so they're not necessarily up and coming, but you haven't heard of them. Uh-huh. So that are good, that are deserve some um, some kind of press or something. We just want to try and help people get through and break through, and anything that we can do, you know, as the show grows, it'll be a bigger and bigger opportunity for people like that, and that's what we really want to. I don't know if it's called giving back. I don't know if I would really look at it as giving back, but more like just trying to help people, try and get them to their goals. Because I know it's so difficult, and especially now, especially now with COVID, but even with it without COVID, in the way music is and the industry is, for a new band to come up and start making money and be able to tour and sell records, it's super, super hard. Before we let you go, um, what social medias do you have out there to plug? Really just my, I do have an Instagram and then I have an artist page on Facebook. Then I have my personal page on Facebook, but it's full. You know, they only, <laughs> they cap you up. Yeah. And then just the hangout, uh, the hangout live. And of course, Jack Brooks is great live on Facebook. Okay. I guess I probably need to get my webpage going. And I had it going and I just let it expire because I just, everything was done on Facebook and so, but I'm like, you know what? I need to move off that. Yeah, I think uh, there's definitely some new ones coming out. Parlor seems to be a big one that's that's hitting hitting pretty hard right now. Yeah. Is that like a Twitter? Is that what that is, or is that like a Facebook? I think it's more like a Facebook. But I think they were trying to drive away from a lot of the you know politics seems to have overtaken Facebook. So I think people got tired of it and wanted to move to a new a new format. So I believe it's more like a Facebook format, very similar. No, I'll have to check it out because I've heard about it and it's it's worth looking into because they do um, police. You know, we've been silent on things. We try not to go political at all, but you say anything that remotely leans towards um, what they 
would assume would help somebody on the right, then they want to silence you and we're like, you, you know, that's just- you are not kidding. <laughs> it is terrible like that. It's bad. Yeah, you make one comment and you could mean something completely different. If they view it a certain way, all of a sudden it disappears and you get a nasty gram in your inbox. Yep. <laughs> it's happened to us twice on the hangout. We're like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Oh, that's not good. Wow. No, so it's, it's, it's yeah, it's not good. It's been not no punk over and fucking like Silicon Valley is sitting over and they're like, I don't like what you're saying, <laughs> you know? It's like, really? What happened to freedom of speech? For Come real. On. That's what we need you rock guys to get back out there pushing records, new songs, because that was always fight against the, you know, the establishment. Yeah. So, no, yeah. It, listen, Robbie, we, we really, really happy to have you on the show today. Um, anything we can help help you in the future of the podcast once things gets going, we'll promote whatever you whatever project or endeavor you have going. But um any final words to your fans? Um yeah, stay safe. Stay safe and hopefully see you on the road. Absolutely. And if you're if you make it you guys make it out to New York, we're gonna be sure to come on out and uh see you guys. Hopefully get a chance to meet you live and it's been an absolute pleasure having you today. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, very articulate, dude. Oh, another. Another good interview. Um, there was a lot there. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. Uh, so much there to uh, to kind of digest through. Um, I mean, can you imagine being a teenager going to the desert and 5,000 people? And, and that's just assumption. There could have been way more. That's wild. You know what I mean? It's, Where a whole road, a mile long road, is packed, was shut down by the cops because it was completely packed. And I think, and listening, listening to what he was saying at the end about you know giving back, uh, it putting it all together from what we heard today. I think there he's there him and Jack Russell's great white. They're trying to afford the opportunities that weren't afforded to them early on. Right. They met a lot of brick walls and a lot of. Where um, you had the talent, shady individuals, right? You had the talent, you had the you had the the product, yep. And it just hit. Oh, I don't like how that sounds, but this guy did. Yeah, but he's not here anymore, so step off. It's crazy. You know, it's it's that's what I mean. Like timing. I, I can see. Like I had to ask that question about why do all bands and it, and I kind of figured it was ego. Yeah. Uh, the cool guy who's the bass player that started. I'm just guessing. The I'm just saying. I mean, don't hit me over the head if you're a bass player. I'm just saying. <laughs> the bass player is the cool guy in high school, but then they go out on tour, and the lead guitarist and the singer are getting all the all the chicks. Well, I, I think you know. So so then the movie, ego starts. There was a movie that came out when we were probably <sighs> late teens, early twenties, and Tom Hanks was the star. That thing you do. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that thing you with do. the yeah. wonders. Yeah. And that was like from what the singer's from, ego from, from what took Robbie over the whole band, and the drummer had the guitar, had the drummer had the the sunglasses. And right. He was the cool guy, and from what he said, that basically that's a microcosm of of what Robbie was saying. Yeah, and you know he definitely came across as a guy who knew who knows what he wants. He he musically knows what he wants and wasn't going to stop until he found it. Yeah, and and I completely understand his. His um, reservations and and his resolve when he figured out when he's on on tour and he's like I'm a rock star I'm on tour but 
it's not supposed to be like this. No. Like, if your dream, you get to your dream, and then people are all piss and vinegar, is it really a dream anymore? That's just it. It's like somebody's souring your dream. Yeah. So I, I completely see why he distanced himself from those situations. And, I mean, he just seems like a real low-key, cool dude. Yep. And he wants, you know, just just level. You know, he doesn't want all this chaos and craziness and no, infighting it, and it seems all that. that he's he's found that that <clears throat> um, continuity, that cohesiveness, writing with Jack Russell and getting out there and playing their music and 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 just seemingly thoroughly enjoying where he's currently at in life, which is great. Uh, if you watch that video I was talking about, where he puts it together through mm-hmm. Zoom, that thing sounds amazing, dude. He probably make us sound like uh, you know two of the best ever. He's got the whole studio in the house. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, man, I <laughs> I had to not ask him. Because he's married with kids, I want to ask him. You know, you always want to ask rock stars. Yeah. What's the hottest chick story you got? Yeah, no, this, <laughs> There's got to be a he, smoke show story somewhere he, He's such there. a good-natured, and you can tell. And, and like I said, everything that Jack Russell's put out there is just a good all-around person. Yeah, I'm really digging the acoustic. Uh, the acoustic. I, I listened to it all the way up, uh, driving from work up to the house here tonight, and uh, yeah, it's cool. And reading back on that, he had to do a lot of arrangement changes. Yeah, because he he was some kind of acoustic specialist with a scorpion or something. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of the stuff wasn't was written for Great White before he was in the band. So when he had to go in to make adjust make adjustments. He ran it by Jack Russell, and he's like, yo, this is the shit. Let's roll. Well, yeah, great... because acoustically, you have to change it yeah. to certain to certain ways yep. to get to get the feel of what the original song was. But That makes me know. think, remember, like MTV back in the 90s had Unplugged. And yeah. That, this, but this is Unplugged, like, turned way up because the production value and what he's put into it, you can tell the whole record is phenomenal. Right. And see, that... So what threw me off a little bit was the time, the time, like we were never really, we never re- the only thing kind of not, not a regret is we never really established the time frame. Yeah. Like we knew it, but we didn't know it. Like, was this the grunge era? Was this the turn of the set? I mean, we talked about 2001, but like before that, were we talking 88? Were we talking 92? Yeah, he did. Cause there is a. There difference. is a difference. He did say it to the one point where I for, I'm trying to think what band he was in at the time may have been treason where he said, you know, that that era of the hair bands was dying. It was it was a yeah. dead breed and it was time to move on. Now, I'm interested and I didn't have time to look it up. I want to look up some of the uh, Dig Jelly stuff because the lead singer is a Japanese female uh, and cool. said that she is phenomenal. Well, and let me let me just point out two things here uh 1992 he was the winner of the jam tracks la guitar battle so you figure la guitar 92 think of 92 listen we went to woodstock 94 right think of the hot bands that were going on then uh, chili peppers had to be there oh big time you know what i mean so he was the he was the winner of that and then in 96 he won the best of the best guitar competition sponsored by music uh music scene international so i mean listen if 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 you get a moment, go on to YouTube, type in Robbie Lochner. I was mesmerized when he started playing Mozart. Or whoever. It's it's crazy. Like, and to do it by ear, to That's... never he's self taught. Like, 
if you listen to him, he's like, you know, it's five chords or whatever, and there's like these five. And then he would go, oh, well, that's, I, I, I'm playing it in one, but if I move it to five, it becomes like a power, you know. Like a, it's diff- it's you know, crazy. In, in our world, it's like. I got four left hands. I can't, I can't no, even keep time. I, and, you know, I, used to, I played drums in high school uh, half, half okay. Good job, Al Bundy. Half okay at times. <laughs> Um, I beat the drum four times. Yeah, in one you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it was like, okay, this, I, I just can't, in our world, it'd be like going up, going outside, picking up a football, and the first time you throw it, it's a fucking spiral 70 yards downfield. Uh, and and through a through a tire. Yeah, you know, I mean, immacul- yeah, I know, I get it. a guitar and by ear, know where your finger placement needs to be, know where you need to be strumming and ha- moving up and down the frets. It's crazy. Yeah, and the one other question I missed, you know my check marks I yeah, always yeah, yeah. do. Is uh right now he he's he's influenced or, or not I don't know about right now but one of the interviews he's big be- he's big in the country he would love to get into country and the guy and it was like a rock guy that asked him this in one yeah. of the interviews the guy's like country he's like yeah he goes think of how awesome the guitar is in country there's music there's a lot of good and when you're guitar. a guitarist the music and that's and that's one of the things if you if you look at some of the people he's worked with and sure he's all over the map. As far as genres, yeah, it's rock, but it's heavy. It's classical rock. It's classical music. Yeah, it's Eddie Money. It's uh, it's Jimi Hendrix. It's Van Halen. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's it, it, he's gone from like you said, radio friendly rock to some pretty dark shit that he didn't really enjoy playing, and classical and covers and everything in between. The guys, the range is ridiculous, and to be self taught. And to be able to teach yourself all those different genres is absolutely amazing. Yeah, and and he just he's the epitome of get the job done. Like he stuck with it, and it was something he was good at. And look at what he did. And then how many people? We should have asked him that when we had him on for the school. Hey, Robbie Lochner, guess what? We're calling you back. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if any of his students have turned into, you know, stars now. Yeah, that's true. Because I mean, you figure if they were say. 15 years old in the turn of the century there you know 2000 yeah now you're, they'd they'd be 30 35 yeah so i wonder if any if he's you know produced any band guys that we would know of from that but that you know you know how it is dude like i wasn't a good football player you were a decent football player you know what i mean we weren't college football players i wasn't good at all but coaching anything Different. teaching coaching teaching you 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 get such gratification out of it's so satisfying to see a, a a person pick up and enjoy what you're teaching. Absolutely. And then and then for when it clicks, you know what I mean. That's and I think the that, moment. The and I think moment. that's what helps us in this. Yeah. Because we're coaches, so we love success and other people's success. Yeah. Like, I, I I don't know why people are haters on other people's success. Yo, they worked hard. You know, they worked hard and they crafted their, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, I bet you him being a teacher for that long, he's got that heart. I'm to sure. Him. I'm sure. You know what I mean? Like, and any way he could help one of his students further themselves, he would do and it. And he's still helping. Right. You know, I feel definitely honored and privileged. We've had two of the great modern day guitarists on our podcast now cool as cute and both too. awesome dudes so yeah. again stroker face good job yeah he definitely did a good job again old old stroker face came through again um now this is going to be 
barring like some kind of magic that Eddie Murphy comes on or somebody <laughs> huge, this is our last interview for the season. Yeah, we're gonna. This is gonna. We're gonna wind down a bit. Um, we got our Thanksgiving show planned for next week. December, we'll drop a couple regular pods, and and, and gonna, then we'll probably do a best of. We might have a little. Maybe maybe our last one of the year will be the best of, and we'll just do like a little award ceremony. That sounds cool. That that would be fun Season to do. Season one awards. Season one awards. Uh, what what a year, man! Like who thought? Not even what. I, it hasn't been 120 days. No, 16 regular episodes, and now six six inter- set, wait six or let seven. Me see, let's see, Tommy, TJ, uh, Tracy Wells, Tracy Wells, Eric, Ed Hearn. William Ostrander seven now sell seven twenty three episodes total, and it's not twenty three weeks though. No, because we been, just started in, yeah. October, in August. Yeah, so I mean, to come as far as we've we've come now, we've just picked up another country. We're in like fifteen countries now. That's wild. Um, our subscribers are going up. We're yep. we we picked up like another hundred in the last since the last interviews, last interview or two, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, we're starting to roll. We're almost to the point where we got to get out of my kitchen and we got to get off of, <laughs> you know, the, the starter pack. Yeah. We're, we definitely got, we do the best we can with what we had. I mean, we started with lapel mics plugged into my laptop. Yeah. Now we go through a mixer, we got headphones, we got everything and, and we're on the lower end of it. So I, I think coming out of the new year, new year, new blood, new, we got to get the studio done. Time we got to grow. Time to grow. Like, that's the only way to do it. No, absolutely. I, you know, and a lot of people don't understand. We shoot this and we put it out. Yeah, our our post-production is uh, we level it. We it's, laugh about it <laughs> and we get time frames if, if there's any significance of, you know, we want to say, hey, at the 22-minute mark, this is going to be talked yeah, about. Yeah, we do our timestamps on the regular one for the interviews. It's different because the interview just flows. But um, our interview podcast is definitely, well, and that's and that's what I'm proud of. Yeah, like when we started, we said, "Listen, we're gonna have a podcast where we're complete idiots, and then we're gonna have an interview podcast yeah. like this one, where we show our range, we talk to people, we get something out of everybody." What's f- cool to me is, and I know that it, we're doing it the right way, is those pre-game jitters you get like that we used to get on coaching or playing whatever sport we were playing i get them for these interviews yeah well you get up you know you get up for them yeah. and then you you figure it out i mean imagine and as for for us it's like to me for me ed hearn was super easy because i lived that whole season yeah. with my with my father and my grandfather it's ingrained in my memory. Sports are, have always been at the forefront in my life. So it was an easy one to do. Reaching out into into the music world, I'm not so well-versed in. So to do the research and then to get on and talk to these guys and get comfortable, I think it shows yeah, and you don't want to ask the work in, and you don't want to ask the wrong questions. Well, and, and then the other thing is, is how many of these guys have heard the same question a hundred times? You want to be original. Right. So you try, you know, you try to find those like in between things. Yeah. Like I haven't heard him talk about the hangout live. No. 
So they I'm like, oh, it. cool. This is pretty cool. It's like a podcast, and he talks to other people. It's like, and you can see it on YouTube or Facebook. Or yeah, wherever. check so, it out because he has some absolutely awesome guests on there. Yeah, and 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 Top multiple multiple guests. guests. Yes, huge. So it's really cool. And you know, it's if you want to know the behind the scenes of music, that's definitely check it out. It's the Hangout Live. Um, but again, dude, another great, great interview. Um, I, I don't doubt ourselves anymore, man. I don't either. I don't either. I, I, I'm glad I get them jitters. That means we're, uh, we're putting into it and that's good. Yeah. It, it, when, if you're a little, if you're nervous about it, you care about it. Absolutely. I, you know, like you try and tell everybody before every time I strapped into a race car, I was nervous Yeah. before every, uh, you know what I mean? Like you get that little bubble in your stomach you're like here here we go yeah last night going home listening to or thinking about what we'd recorded for our, for a regular show it was like man that was off the off the the script so to speak from what we've done you know the past couple of months but it was number one it was uh it was poignant and pointful because of the time frame right and i think it was needed it was it, it, it's like the elephant in a room or whatever. Yeah. But this this is a very good interview. Robbie yeah. Lochner, we thank you. Absolutely. Phenomenal guitarist. Great dude. Uh, like I said earlier, before that started, he's very, very well-spoken, very articulate, um, laid-back guy, and really good interview. Um, but we definitely got to have him back on because I just got 10 more questions. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Once they get torn again... And things open up for them, and I know he said they're they're working on another album release. Once either that hits, or they're out in the tour again. We'll reach out and see if we can bring them back. Definitely, you want to bring us home? I'll bring us home for Robbie Lochner and G Mac. This is Winnie with the Outlaw Blitz Interview Podcast, and as always, take a deep. Whether you want long cutter pouches, head on over to driveenergy.com. Nine flavors of dip and two flavors of energy await you. Use code BLITZ20 to get a discount courtesy of the boys. And don't forget to tell them the Outlaws sent you. The Outlaw Blitz Podcast is a 24-cross media production.